did a piece of research to over 250 marketing professionals. About 79% of people knew the difference between artificial intelligence and machine learning. Less than 50% of respondents actually felt comfortable explaining what it was and how they could use it. And less than 25%, so less than one in four people, were actually using it in the day-to-day. And this morning is all designed to try and get those percentages up because we think there is a lot of opportunity within machine learning for performance marketing. So today you're going to hear about us defining machine learning. We are going to do an interactive quiz that has been built specifically by our data science team. We're going to show how we've applied that to performance marketing through a product that we've built. We have Rahul here from Google, who is a machine learning expert. He's going to do a fireside chat with Scott. And then finally, we are going to do a three key takeaways and open up for questions from anyone from the audience. So hope that sounds good. Let's start with the definition. Often with artificial intelligence machine learning, they're often used in the same sentence and they can be kind of interchangeable. And that's not incorrect because they are definitely connected, but they are different things. I'll start with artificial intelligence. So that is any technique that a machine uses to mimic human behavior. So we use these all the time in our day-to-day life. It might be Cortana that you use across your Microsoft devices, or Siri that you're using across your Apple devices, or even Alexa that you may be using across your Amazon devices. And I am machine learning. I'm a subset of AI techniques that uses statistical models, algorithms, to enable machines to learn and improve over time. And we actually use these way more in our everyday lives than we realise. For example, Google Autocomplete. And I'm Deep Learning, and I'm the most recent advances in machine learning at the heart of products like self-driving cars and recent advances in computer vision. So you can see that they're all different, but they're absolutely connected. But for the purpose of today, what we're going to focus on, we're going to focus on machine learning. Because the thing we're so excited about with machine learning is we think that has got the biggest application to allow us to drive performance marketing and double the impact in half the time. Machine learning can really do two key things. First of all, it can help us predict and drive business outcomes with an incredible amount of accuracy. So through predicting the complexity that comes with lots of different data and everything that's happening within the world, and also uncovering relationships within data that drive better insights. Then on the other side, you've got machine learning that can help us improve customer experiences. So actually start to, as a machine rather than a human being, converse with users and customize and personalize experiences. Because the reason we're so excited about it, if you think about, if you have six billion rows of data, the time it would take a human being to be able to go through all of that data, actually analyze it, create insights and action it, would take hours, if not days, if not weeks. For a machine, it can process that amount of data within minutes or seconds and be able to create, uncover those relationships that drive insights and actually drive an action. Machine learning is obviously fantastic, and often the question we get is, so what is the point of people? But it's incredibly important to understand that it's not man or machine, or man versus machine, it's actually man and machine. Because for us, machine learning, we have got to set the direction. Machines don't necessarily know what data they should be using or what models or algorithms they should use. It is for us as humans to set that direction 
And things change all the time. Things change in our businesses, in our world that are very human things. And we need to make sure that we can adapt to it and apply a level of creativity. Because if there's one thing that humans have that machines don't, it is that feeling, that emotion, that feeling that you get in your gut that you know can better connect with people. And then finally, just to be able to give context of the things that are going on in the world. Machines are just looking at a set of data against a certain algorithm, and it's us as humans that can set that context. But when we're starting to think about machine learning, we need to be very practical in the way that we approach it. We shouldn't ask, what can machine learning do for me? But rather, what is my key challenge, and how can machine learning help solve that challenge? So you always need to start, like with any problem or any new piece of technology, it is what is the business challenge I'm trying to solve. Once you know that challenge, you can start to de develop one or a number of different hypotheses that you want to go and test. And to test that, you've got to go and find the data. And most of the time, you probably have access to that data. But in some circumstances, you may have to go and acquire other pieces of data. You then go and build the model, choose the right algorithm. And it's not until points five and six that we're really applying the machine learning. And so this is a practical approach, but it's theoretical in the way that we're talking about it. And very much the point of these breakfast briefings is for it to not be theoretical, but actually apply it to and everyone have a go at actually getting their hands dirty in doing some machine learning. And Sophie and Josh, our data scientists, are going to take us through the game. As Jack said, this is the interactive part of the session. There are a number of things we need to go through, and we have identified for you the business problem that we would like to solve. What we'll be solving today, we would like to predict with some accuracy the fate of the passengers of the Titanic. This is a subject close to my heart after a friendship was irrevocably ruined when the film came out and I was personally blamed for killing Leonardo DiCaprio. That is a long story, we will not go into that here. So, with the Titanic, this is a data set that is very frequently used in data science tests because it is freely available and the passenger manifest tells us a number of things about the passengers who were on board. So if we're thinking about the steps that we need to go through, um, we're going to need to build a hypothesis, acquire our data, build it into a model and then train and test. So the first stage is to think about the variables, the data features that are available to us. So if we're thinking about that passenger manifest, we have some fairly obvious things that you would need to capture for travellers. The name, the age, the sex, the class of travel, not how classily they were dressed, the fare that they paid, the cabin number, so the room that they were staying in, the ticket number, and their embarkation point, which, as was recently pointed out to me, is definitely where they got on, on the basis they all got off in pretty much the same point. <laughs> With that data, we're then able to choose the statistical model that we would like to apply to it. So we've got three models for you to experiment with, each which approach the problem in slightly different ways. Starting with the decision tree, which works by asking questions about your data. It's going to take a particular feature, say age, and find the value which best separates those that survived and those that didn't, and branch off and take a, a subsequent feature and split off to form a tree or flowchart-like structure. The second model that we've got for you to experiment with is the naive Bayes algorithm that works probabilistically. For each feature, it's going to look at a passenger and calculate the probability that a passenger with that particular feature survived. 
It's going to take those separate probabilities and combine them using a mathematical formula called Bayes' rule to come up with a final prediction. Third and finally, we've got the gradient boost algorithm that works much like a decision tree, but makes multiple trees, with each subsequent tree correcting for errors in the previous one. So with your features and with your model, you'll have a way, once trained, to make predictions. But how are we going to know how a classifier is performing? Well, what we're going to do is we're going to split the data, roughly 80-20, and only train on 80% of the data, holding back 300 passengers that the model will never have seen before. We then make predictions on those remaining 300 passengers, and we're going to score, out of 300, the number of passengers the model correctly predicted. So if you think back to that marvellous time in your life when you were doing perhaps A-levels, the training section are the past exam papers, where you go over and over the questions that might come up. And it's as important to get the questions right as it is to get them wrong, because if you get them wrong, you know that's where you need to go and do a bit more revision or a bit more practice. But the testing stage, that is your A-level exam. No pressure. So we've got our data, we've got our hypothesis. We then need to train and test our model. What we will be doing is showing you the output of the machine learning so that we can assess the effectiveness of the model and the hypothesis that we have built. And to make that make a little bit more sense, Josh and I are going to talk through a demo. So, Josh, what would you like to start with? Uh, well, I do have a hypothesis about the event, just based on my general knowledge and perhaps too many late nights watching a certain James Cameron classic. And I think that, on average, wealthy women and children tended to survive more. So into my model, I want to put class, age, and sex. Okay, and which statistical model would you like to apply it to? Uh, let's give the decision tree a go. I like the way that it approaches the problem, much like you or I would, asking questions, interrogating the data set. Okay, so let's put those variables into the model and see what we get out of 300. 235. 78%, that's actually a pretty good result. If we look at some of the other data points that we think about, Josh's gut was saying that women and children survived. So if we said purely women and children survive, we'd be right 30% of the time. So about 89 passengers that we'd get correctly, assume their fate. Based on the parameters that Josh has put in, we have 78%. Our baseline is 68 68% of passengers on board the Titanic sadly didn't make it. So the machine learning um, algorithm here has performed better than baseline. But you wrote the code, Josh, which means you, you, you should do better. <laughs> Would you like to change anything? Well, I'm happy with my features. I really do think they are predictive of whether a passenger survived or didn't. But let's give one of the other models a go. Can we switch to the naive Bayes algorithm? Mm. I know that tends to work well when my features are definitely predictive. Okay, let's put all of that lot in. Josh. Josh. Oh. It's gone down too. No. So naive Bayes hasn't performed as well this time. It doesn't do as well with data features that are not predictive, which probably explains that result. So because I'm very nice, I will give you another option. What would you like to do? Let's switch back to the decision tree because that worked well for me first time round. And I've got two further hypotheses. I'm just looking at my ticket here and I can see on my cabin number there's a letter at the front that I think might represent maybe their deck or at least their location on the ship that I think would be predictive of whether a passenger survived or not. So I want to take out that letter and use that as an additional feature. Uh, we can call it deck. Okay, and anything else? Um, well, the other thing I noticed is that we've got data on whether a passenger had parents or siblings on board. 
and I think that larger families were more likely to survive. So let's combine those, sum them together and create a new feature and we'll call it family size. Lovely. Right, let's put those in. Our new features. It's exciting, isn't it? <laughs> 240. Well done. 80% accuracy rate. So you've done really, really well there. But we know, because we've tested it, that you can do better. So what we're going to test first, we're going to use the decision tree model, and I'm going to ask you to choose a number of variables. The decision tree model works best with up to three variables. Please, can I ask you to choose three of the variables that will be most predictive of whether or not people survived the Titanic? So formulate your hypothesis, choose your data variables. And what we can see on the screen next to Josh, we can see the votes coming in um, in near enough real time and we'll give the algorithm um, a little while to do a bit of a chug. So what we can see is that the most popular items at the moment are sex, class and age. Based on that on the decision tree model and we're coming out at 78%, 233. So a good result, but if this was actually a game show, Josh is currently walking away with the family size car. So we can do better. What we're going to ask you to do next is to think about the model that we want to apply those features to. We've got the various features in and we can think about the model. So your three options here are you can stay the same and then nothing will change. We can use the naive Bayes, but as we said earlier, that doesn't do very well with the features that are not predictive. Or we can use the gradient boost, which hopefully will be able to treat those variables in a different way. So you can see that the vast majority of people have voted for gradient boost, well done. And we have a better result. We're up now at over 80%, 239. But Josh is still in the lead with his 240 and his fictional family size car. So what we're going to do next, we have got the gradient boost. We know that the gradient boost can cope with more features than the decision tree. So again, which features do you think would be most predictive? And we can see those answers coming in. There's about 48 people who voted last time. So what the model has done this time, it's chosen the top features that have been selected. Um, and with the addition of those additional data points, we're now up at 244. So collectively, you own a small piece of a fictional car. Now, because I'm very nice, and because we're all learning, we're going to give you one more go than Josh had. His final guess, he spoke about some of the other data variables that you could infer from the data that you had. So again, you're encouraged to use one or two options where you think it will be predictive. So we've had most of our votes in. Nobody wanted to choose the length of name, which I feel was probably a smart move. But we're up at 249, so 83% accuracy, which is fantastic. As we said, the baseline was 68%. So using the data variables available to us and using our hypotheses, pushing it through the model, we are able to accurately predict the fate of 250 passengers. Now, to prove that this stuff then can scale and can work, everybody has a ticket next to them, and there is a QR code on it. And if you follow that QR code, it will take you to a website where using the model that we have just built, it will aim to predict the fate of the passenger on your ticket. So 100 people in the room, 83 of us will get a correct prediction. So I survived. And I was correct. Go me. What's particularly interesting here is that it's, it's near enough impossible to get 100% accuracy because people don't behave always as you expect. 
And going back to the point Jack made earlier about needing to still have that human intelligence as part of the story, when you start to look at those statistical outliers, you can get some absolutely amazing stories. Like the one of a guy who was travelling one of the lower class decks who all the stats say shouldn't have made it, but he swam for two hours, found a lifeboat and made it. And it's those kind of really interesting stories that we're able to delve from data. Thank you very much. Brilliant. So we have now all done some machine learning. We've taken lots and lots of data, we've used different models, and we've got to, when we talk about predicting complexity, we're able in, what, 15 minutes to predict at 85% accuracy the outcome of all the people on the Titanic. And that's pretty amazing to be able to do and just how quickly we're able to do it. But obviously, as fun as it is to do the predictions Titanic, what we want to be thinking about is how we can start to apply the same type of thinking and machine learning to performance marketing. <laughs>